Welcome to Norfolk Community Church. My name is Bonnie and I am one of the children's pastors on staff. If you call Norfolk your family, welcome home. If you're new to the Norfolk family, welcome home. It's great to have you all present as we gather online to worship our loving and merciful God. But before we get into anything, can I just start by saying, this is really strange, isn't it? I don't know about you, but I miss seeing all of you on Sunday morning. I miss worshiping together. I miss praying together. Doing church at home on TV or a laptop or a phone just doesn't feel quite right. It's good, but it's not ideal. Personally, I love worshiping with full abandon with my arms raised, but that gets a little awkward in my living room. And if that's you too, we want you to know that that's okay. Don't feel bad if you can't quite get into it. On the flip side, maybe now's the time for you to raise up those hands and give it a little try while no one else is around. In fact, start with the simple sway or lift your arms in full surrender. You might like it. But as much as we long for getting back together in person in our physical churches, we also know that church is not a building. We are the church. And we hope that these services are encouraging and edifying to you during this time. We hope that you can set your hearts towards God, rest in the assurance that He is in control of everything. But I also know that there is a lot of people watching this who absolutely love it because you don't have to come inside a church building. Or maybe you're just curious about Jesus. Or maybe you are desperate for a little hope in the midst of this crisis. Whatever the case, we're so glad you're here, and we hope these services will be a blessing to you. Take your time listening, checking out our website and some of our other resources. When you're ready, we have plenty of pastors eager to answer any questions you have. We have lots of ways for you to connect and learn more about what it means to follow Jesus. Now, they gave me this opportunity to speak to you, so I'm gonna use it to promote what we've been doing to support families. And if you're not a parent, hang tight. I'll make this quick. We believe that parents are the primary disciple makers in the home. So we do our best to equip you to raise your kids in the faith. There is no better time than the present to resolve ourselves to take up that mantle for our kids. So check out our resources on social media, on the website, and of course, the children's service video. And I can't forget to mention our other ministries from middle school and high school and young adults who are also working to put out amazing content each week, doing a great job connecting with kids and families. We're all working together to raise up gospel-centered kids, youth, and families. Okay, I've been talking too long. Let's get started. Andrew and the band have prepared another great set of songs for us. So get on up, raise those hands, and sing loud. I'll just be over here on my comfy couch taking it all in. Bow at his feet, he 
123. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever.
Father, in these days, teach us to learn how to say it is well, even when we may not feel like everything is going all right, Lord. Father, teach us to trust you. Help us to lean on your spirit. To lean on what we know is true about you, that you are faithful and kind and loving and still with us, even here in the valleys and the storms, God. In the name of Christ, we ask these things. Today, Jeff will be starting our new four-week series called Storms. We think this is going to be an encouraging message that will speak to anyone and everyone. So we encourage you to send it around to friends and families. It is a rich privilege we have to open God's Word now and allow it to encourage, correct, sustain, and comfort. Here's Pastor Jeff. One of the most fearful moments I had when I was a child was uh, when I was riding with my family in, in a boat we owned down Lake Chelan, which is in the middle of Washington State. It's the place that we used to go for uh, holidays during spring break or the summer. Uh, we weren't great boaters. We had gone up to the end of the lake. It's like, I don't know, 56 miles long or something like that. It was a very, very long lake. And we'd gone up to the end of the lake just for the adventure of it. And uh, we started heading back and... Uh, you could see this storm starting to develop down the valley as we continued to go down the lake, and we could see the, the clouds starting to form. And then you could see, you know, sometimes you see in the distance, you can see the rain coming down, that, that misty look, and it seemed to cover the entire lake. In fact, you couldn't even see uh, beyond the next corner because it was like just black with, with rain. You could see the waves starting to roll. My dad, I remember him telling me, uh, kids, you need to get in the front. We had one of those uh, fronts. I guess they're called bow riders. They, you could go in the front. We actually had a, a tarp on it at the time. And my, my dad said, go to the front, lay down, and just stay there so that we wouldn't apparently fall out of the boat. And as soon as we went in there, we started to feel the effects of the waves. I mean, we were being thrown all over the place. The boat wasn't very big. I remember uh, going, it's every once in a while, peeking out and seeing my father's face and realizing that he was genuinely scared of the entire thing. I think about that experience um, whenever I read Mark chapter 4, um, mostly because I know what it's like in Mark chapter 4 for the disciples to be facing this, this challenge that they had on, on a lake on the Sea of Galilee. The storm came up there. Um, that sea was known for having all sorts of storms like that. And these fishermen ended up freaking out. These professional fishermen ended up freaking out about this storm that they're caught in. And meanwhile, Jesus is sleeping in the stern of the boat. I want to study that passage with you in the next few minutes. Um, this is a new series that we're, we're working through. We're calling it Storms because we're looking at four different passages in Scripture where God reveals himself through different uh, events 
um, that involves storms. So today we want to look at this, this particular passage in Mark chapter 4, verse 35, where Jesus is in the boat asleep in the middle of the storm with the disciples. We want to learn what it's like for, for us as followers of Jesus to, to go through storms. What, is it, what does it mean that we face storms? What does it look like for us to respond rightly in the midst of storms? What do we learn about God in the midst of the storms in our lives? And because, let's face it, we're in one. If, if you're not in the uh, health storm that COVID-19 is causing, you certainly might be in the economic storm that it's causing. You might be in the family storm that it's causing because you're stuck at home all the time with your brothers and sisters, or you're stuck at home with your husband and wife, and you know it's hard to live on top of each other for, for so long. So this is an appropriate time for us to look at passages like this and perhaps learn what God might have for us about his character in the midst of all of these. So I'm going, to, I'm going to show you today four things we learn about following Jesus through storms. And they all come from Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 41. So let's deal with the first one. And that is that Jesus leads into the storm. The following Jesus doesn't always mean that we're going to be peaceful and happy and everything's going to go super well all the time. You know, sometimes it means that he's going to lead us into the storm. And that's what happens in verse 35 of Mark chapter 4. Here's, here's how it reads. Um, that day, when the evening came, he said to his disciples, let, let us go to the other side. So leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. They were also, there were also other boats with him. And a furious squall, actually the, the Greek there can, can be translated hurricane, but a furious squall gets the same idea across. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. So you get a picture of the scene. If you had read through the entirety of Mark chapter 4 leading up to this, you would know that Jesus has been teaching the people on, on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. He, he's actually had to get into a boat because there were so many people, so many crowds, that they were pushing him out from the shore that he's had to get on a boat and kind of go out a little bit of distance from the shore so he can teach them. And he teaches them all sorts of things about God, about what it means to follow him, the cost of following him, all that kind of thing. Um, there are other boats with him out there. It's not just alone. He's, he's with uh, his disciples and then several others. We don't know who those several others were. We're just told that there were other boats with them. And Jesus, when he's done teaching, he turns around to those in his boat and probably to those in the other boats, and he says to them, hey guys, let's go to the other side. Now I want you to notice at this point, you just have to realize that Jesus does not say to them, hey, here's my plan. Uh, we're going to go to the middle and we're down. We're going to go to the middle. There's a storm going to come up. Everything's going to go wrong and we're all dead. His intent his word is that we're going to go to the other side. And so they head out toward the other side. And sure enough, like it often happened on the Sea of Galilee, which was known for its storms. The, the lake that we were on when I was a kid called Lake Chelan was not known for its sudden storms. The Sea of Galilee was, in fact, the prevailing winds that come kind of off the coast funnel through this valley. And they hit the Sea of Galilee, usually in the early evening, late evening, and they can, they can cause massive waves to come up on, on the sea, even today. In, in one town, Tiberias, which is on one side of the Sea of Galilee, they, in 1992, they had, they had uh, three-meter swells 
that were breaking into the city. I mean, that's a legitimate surfing adventure. So it's not uncommon for this sort of thing to happen in this, in this area. Uh, the boat that they're in, we're told, is being swamped. And when you hear that, you need to picture what it would have been like in the middle of this boat while the disciples are, uh, I imagine that they probably didn't have buckets with them, so they're probably just paddling the water out as quickly as they possibly can, freaking out, yelling at each other, you know, you get that, you get that water, hurry, come on, everybody into it. You know, they're worried that this whole thing's going to go down. Of course, we end up finding out in a minute that in the back, Jesus is asleep. This scene, though, <laughs> this scene has a lot of, of pictures of the first chapter of the book of Jonah in it. You remember that story? Uh, Jonah is told by God to go to Nineveh, and he says instead, I don't like the Ninevites. I don't want to go to them. I don't want to preach to them because I'm afraid that they might, uh, they might repent, and they shouldn't repent. They're not worth God's grace. So in his rebellion, he goes down to the seashore, he gets on a boat, and he heads to Tarshish. And on a map, Tarshish is the opposite direction from where Nineveh is. He gets out there in the middle of the water. He's under, uh, he, he's below decks, and a grand storm comes up. And it beats on the, on the, on the boat, and the, and the sailors on the boat are freaking out, and they're saying to their gods, uh, help us, help us, everybody cry out to their own god, and meanwhile... Jonah is below deck, asleep. They end up going and waking him up and bringing him above board. If you were, if you were a Jew and you were listening to this story the first time, your mind would immediately be going back to, to Jonah. But the difference between this story and the story of Jonah is that when Jonah got into the boat and when the storm came up, it was because of his disobedience to the word of God. He had spurned God's word. He had decided that I don't want to obey God. I don't want to do what it is that the Lord has told me to do. I want to go the other way. And, yet, and God sends the storm as a kind of punishment to him, as a kind of direction to him. I'm not going to let you, Jonah, get away with this disobedience. So Jonah's in the middle of the sea in the storm because he spurned the word of God. But what are the disciples in the storm because of? And the answer is because they followed the word of God, right? Jesus said, we're going to go to the other side. So Jesus is actually leading them to the other side through a storm. <laughs> this brings up an important point, I think, that you'll find over and over in both the Christian life and in Scripture. And that is this. Jesus never promises his followers an easy journey with favorable winds. He often leads us into the storm. I know that's not a popular way to talk about things these days. I mean, the way that we talk about Jesus in a lot of churches is that he's there kind of as your, as your little helper, as your butler to make everything feel better. He's a good therapeutic God. He's a kind of cuddly God. I know that that's the way we tend to talk about it, but that's not really the way Jesus is revealed in Scripture. We tend to think that the Christian life is going to be a lot like a cruise. You ever been on a cruise? Uh, I went once, one time uh, on a cruise. Uh, I probably will never go again for obvious reasons. Uh, but when I went, went on the cruise, I, I remember uh, talking to one of, the, one of the guys who worked up in, with a captain. And he said that they had this, this radar that could determine 
where the storms were coming from at every, t- at every point in the trip. And the, the role of the captain wasn't just to get from one location to the next. The role of the captain was to actually avoid the storm. So if you could travel a certain distance, east or west, north or south, in the water to try to avoid certain squalls that were coming through, that's what you did because the people on the boat were paying customers. And if, if the storms, we went straight through them, said this guy, that the captain would be getting an earful from all the passengers because that's what you do. You know, the, the, the cruise ship exists for your comfort. And if it doesn't work out that way and you're having a bad time, you start complaining to the captain. You're not doing your job right, captain. Steer outside the storm. That tends to be the way that we, we act toward God. We think, Lord, you are the captain of our boat. And uh, we're good paying customers. Look at all the good things we're doing for you. So we need you to throw us a, a bone and keep us out of the squalls on the open ocean. It's not hard for you if you love us and you care for us, which is what you say. Then surely you can avoid a squall by going in one direction or another direction. You can keep everything comfortable with favorable winds. That's the sign that God loves us. J.I. Packer, uh, old theologian who actually taught at Vancouver's um, Regent College for for years, he wrote the foreword of a book I've been reading lately. It's the the book is actually an old Puritan book. Uh, the pastor who wrote it, his name was Thomas Boston. So it's from a long time ago, and it's kind of an old English. The book is called The Crook in the Lot. And that title is kind of weird for us, but the lot is your, your life. You have a lot in life. And a crook is a turn. And so the title is, why does God have a turn, oftentimes, in our lives? Why are there crooks in our, in our lots? And how do we deal with that? How do we deal with the disappointment that comes from that? How do we deal with the storms when we expect to be going one direction and it goes, we go another one? Packer wrote the foreword, the beginning of the book, reflecting on what Thomas Boston writes in this. It's a lovely little book. And here's what Packer, Packer wrote. He said, discipleship, or following Jesus, will have its downs as well as its ups, its distresses as well as its delights. But the comfort-oriented materialism of our age urges that painless, trouble-free living is virtually human right. And many who believe let themselves think that because they're God's children, they'll always be shielded from major troubles that may strike other people. And will be led through life on a pain-free path with all pleasant things provided as would happen on a cruise. The brash and simplistic expression of this syndrome is found in the health and wealth gospel of some televangelists. The more reflective and sophisticated expression appears in the pained question asked when trauma comes, whether it's bereavement or betrayal, disease, business collapse, COVID-19, whatever. How could God let this happen to me? Because when we, we ask that question, aren't we basically saying, God, your job is to steer us away from the difficulty. How could you let this happen to us? Come on, Captain, do your job. We're good paying customers after all. 
So Jesus leads us into the storms. That's a false expectation to think that your life's going to go like a cakewalk, like a cruise. Jesus leads us into the storms. I said there were four things I can point out from this passage. Here's the second one. Not only does Jesus lead us into the storms, but secondly, unfortunately, we often respond badly to the storm. Look at verse 38. Uh, Jesus, while these guys are bailing the water out of their boat, Jesus was in the stern, that's the back, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? I want to show you a picture. Uh, this is a picture that I had mounted of uh, a boat that they found in 1986. Two Jewish fishermen were walking down uh, the, the beach and they found the tip of this boat that they've dated back to the first century. So this is actually now called the Jesus boat because it's a boat that's very similar to what Jesus would have been riding on. You can see kind of the size of it. It has an elevated stern in the back and there's enough room there and some evidence that in many of these boats they would have like a, like a, a, like, like a kind of a, a bed-like uh, surface in the back where you could, you could lay down a bit. If Jesus had a cushion, he could put his head on that. And that's really what we've got here. I've wanted to do that since I began. But that's what we've got here. We've got, we've got Jesus on a cushion, lying on this bed-like surface in the back, while the boat is filling with water. So much so, in fact, the waves are so great that it is scaring the men in the boat who are not just ordinary men. They're not people like me who've never been in storms like this before. These are professional fishermen on this very lake, the Sea of Galilee. So they're the kind of men who'd probably be able to say, hey, we've, we've seen something like this before. Don't freak out about a storm this size. In fact, I was in uh, Regina this last summer. It was a baseball tournament. And so during one of the games, this massive storm, it's one of these prairie storms, just kind of rolled through. It felt like it was a massive blackout, and it felt like just the heavens opened, and, and God just dumped a bucket down on everybody. I could not believe how much rain was coming down at one time. I was underneath this tent, kind of shaking. All of the players from British Columbia were against a wall, shaking and just freaking out. I've never seen anything like this. It's amazing. Oh my goodness. It's going to wash away. And I was standing next to this, this man who uh, was doing some of the administration for, for the game. And uh, he was sitting just lazily looking out, content. And he said to me, so uh, it's your first prairie storm? And I said, yeah, from British Columbia. We don't, we don't get these kinds of things. It's usually just drizzle. And he said, well, I'd give this one a 6 out of 10. I, wow. And it felt like a 10 out of 10 to me. It was the worst uh, rainstorm I've ever been in in my entire life. But he was totally at ease because <clears throat> he's seen stuff like this before. He's lived there. He's been through all these kinds of things. It's almost like he was saying, listen, I'll tell you if it gets really serious. Well, these disciples, these professional fishermen are telling Jesus that it's really serious. It's it's a bad storm. They're shoveling the water out with their hands. And meanwhile, Jesus is asleep. I mean, how would you feel if you were in this situation? How would you feel if you 
or working your, like crazy trying to save the lives of you and your friends and the guy who brought you out there. The guy actually has been healing all sorts of people who has power apparently is just snoozing in the back on a cushion. You can understand why they get mad at him. You know, it's interesting, in, in Mark's gospel, which is what we're studying here, um, the way that he records what they say to Jesus is different than what it's recorded in the other gospels. So Matthew, what they say to Jesus at this moment, he says, they say, save us, Lord, we're perishing. In Luke's gospel, they say, master, master, we're, we're perishing. Kind of giving him information or asking him to save them. But in Mark's gospel, their cry has a little edge to it. Teacher, don't you care if we drown? There's kind of a sarcasm in it. Oh, you don't even care if we drown. That's the way I, I would have said it. There's an anger in it. The disciples aren't just asking for help. They're, they're angry at Jesus' indifference. In the middle of the storm, you know what that's like? I do. Shaking your fist at heaven. Where are you, God? Don't you care? My son Ethan, when he was a little guy, he used to get croup really badly. I think I've shared that before with our congregation. He used to get really this croup, and it's like a seal cough. Or, 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 or. He'd, he'd cough. It means that he couldn't breathe. There was something wrong with his uh, airway. And he would get sick. And whenever he'd get sick uh, with any kind of like congestion, his throat would close up and he'd start coughing like this and would barely be able to breathe. His chest wouldn't be taking in air and he'd almost be like gasping for breath. The first time that happens with your little, your little kid's first child, it, you're, you're freaking out. You don't have no idea what in the world's going on. I remember walking him outside on a coolish night in his, in his little stroller, walking back and forth up our driveway and praying to God, what are you doing, Lord? Don't, don't you care about him? Don't you care about his situation? He can't breathe, Lord. Don't you care if he drowns? You know, the human condition is that we know exactly what it's like to say those words. It's know exactly what it's like to feel like Jesus is in our boat and he's asleep. He's supposed to be keeping us safe from these things. He's supposed to be acting to work on our behalf, but he, he's not. And the way we respond to that is with usually anger and a fist shake. Why are you doing this to us? So sometimes Jesus leads us into the storm. Second, we often respond badly to the storm. And because we are so accustomed to facing storms and responding badly to the storms, we should pay attention to what it is that Jesus does and says in response to these disciples. Third, he has power over the storm. Verse 39, he got up. Imagine him getting up, huh? You know, wiping the sleep out of his eyes. He rebuked the wind. And he said to the waves, he's speaking to them as if they're people, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. We take it to mean that it, that it happened right away. Didn't take a long time for the wind to die down, and then, the, you know, sometimes the waves have to kind of 
work themselves out. We assume that it just came immediately became completely calm. Now, I want you to notice that Jesus does not appeal to any higher power than himself in order to make this happen. He's not in the boat saying, oh, God, could you stop the wind and the waves? He doesn't, he doesn't voice a prayer. One of the things you'll find in the Bible is that the only one who has power over the storm, so the only one who has power over weather, is God himself. And there are passages of Scripture that really do describe this, especially in this psalm. So in Psalm 89, verse 9, you get, You rule over the surging sea. You, Lord, rule over the surging sea. When its waves mount up, you still them. It's the right of God himself to still the surging seas. Psalm 107 Verse 23, all the way to verse 30. Just listen to the way this psalm reads. It's almost like this psalm is being acted out by Jesus in the midst of this storm. Listen, some went out on the sea in ships. They were merchants on the mighty waters. They saw the work of the Lord, his wonderful deeds in the deep, for he spoke and stirred up a tempest that lifted high the waves. They mounted up to the heavens and went down to the depths. In their peril, their courage melted away. They reeled and staggered like drunkards. They were at their wit's end. And then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm, and he guided them to their desired haven. That psalm is basically about the power of God to take care of his people in the midst of a grand storm that he leads them into and through. But it's God, the Almighty, who's existed forever. The Ancient of Days, Yahweh himself, he's the one who has authority over these things. And so what are you supposed to conclude when you read a story like this or you're a disciple in the boat and Jesus himself stands up and rebukes the wind and waves? Jesus has the authority of God because he is God. That's the message here. The disciples' fear then was actually due to a theological error. They're scared in the boat because they don't trust the character of Jesus to be the same as the character of Almighty God. He does not, in their minds, have the same power or care that Almighty God has At this moment, it's a theological error. That's where their fear comes from. And to be honest, so does ours. Most of our fears, in fact, are from theological errors. When I was a little kid, my my mother used to take me shopping. I always realized that the worst place you could go shopping with your mother was uh, like Fabricland or the fabric store. That, easily the worst place. But second to that was usually one of these... uh, these stores that have those circular hangers. My mom was an exhaustive shopper in that she always felt like she was going to miss out on a deal if she didn't go through every single one of those hangers. Every little boy in the world knows exactly the sound of those hangers. It's a sound of terror. I used to be so bored. And, you know, I wasn't tall enough to look over the hangar, so I just stand by my mom and listen to the ch-ch-ch-ch. So I decided that in order to have a little bit of fun, I would find places that I could go that would be more hide-and-seek-y 
right? And so I used to go into the middle of these uh, circular hangars where all the clothes would you know, be around, and I used to go in the middle, sit down in the middle of them, and see if I could scare her or see if I could hide from her. I'd always try to go to the one that she was going around, but then eventually other women would come and they'd be looking. And I remember one time I got in the middle of one of those things, and my mom was going through them. I looked away to another woman who was doing it and trying to hide from her, and I went back and looked, and my mom's hands were gone. So I kind of jumped out the side of it, and I couldn't find her anywhere. I had to go to the, to the place, you know, the, the counter where they could call my mom and they, she came running. I was in tears, just horribly in tears. And she, she came running. She was only like a few aisles away. She came running and said, what is, what's wrong? What's wrong? And I said, I thought you left me. And she said to me, I would never leave you. And that's true. She would never leave me. That's her character. She's the kind of person who is faithful and wouldn't leave me. My fear, though, was a denial of all my experience with her up to that point. My fear was rooted in an error that had to do with a misguided sense of her character. And that's what our fear is with God. When we get afraid and we fret and we worry, it's because we think he is something that he is not. When we doubt that he's able to do something that he is able to do, when we doubt that he has care for us, because he does. He, he, he is the God who has called us. He's the God of the promise. He's the God who has surrounded us with, with his love. He is our great Lord who not only has the power to deliver us and the power over the storm, he also has the care for us so that he will deliver us. Don't make the error to think differently about him just because the wind is blowing. Yeah, our fear and worry are usually theological problems. We fret and we doubt about God's power to care for us. But he has power over the storm. Finally, the fourth one. We can trust God in this. Because of that, we can trust God in the storm. Instead of reacting badly to the storms of our lives, we can trust God in the middle of our storms. Look how this story ends, verse 40 and 41. Uh, he, Jesus, said to the disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who, who is this? E even the wind and the waves obey him. Isn't it interesting that Jesus says to them, Do, do you still have no faith? I want you to imagine that you had followed Jesus around for just a little while. Some of the things that you would have seen would have been remarkable. Up to this point in, in the book of Mark, they would just have stunned you. Jesus uh, is in the middle of a room where it's massively crowded. Some guys are trying to get their friend to him so that he will heal them. They can't get him through the crowd. So uh, they go to the roof. They dig through the roof. They lower their friend on a pallet. Jesus heals the man just with a word. Jesus heals Peter's mother just with a word. She's a fever, just, just with a word. People bring all their sick and demon-possessed to him, and with just a word, not an appeal to any other authority, just with a word, he's able to heal. He's able to deliver. Man who's got demons in him, Jesus is able to 
command those demons to go out. In fact, into some pigs. They, they, they shriek, the demons do, when they see Jesus. We know who you are. You're the most high God. Don't torment us, they say. Man, you would have had like a, a ringside seat to all of that. And then you get on a boat one day after Jesus is done some teaching. With your memory filled with all of these times that God has come through for you, that Jesus himself has come through for you, giving you evidence that he's God himself. You get in the middle of the, the, the lake and you freak out. Don't you care if we drown? Totally abandon all your belief about who God is, who this Jesus is, what you've seen up to this point. <clears throat> it's no wonder that Jesus says what he does. Do you still have no faith? After all that you've seen, do you still have no faith? Seeing God's power over our past storms really is enough for us to trust him in this storm. Because God has delivered you from your past storms, has, has he not? Think about your, your history, your own personal history. Think about all the times that God has taken you through things. At the moment you didn't know it was going to happen, but, but God has been faithful to lead you and guide you and provide for you. Don't forget all that stuff just because... The waves are crashing over the, the side of the boat. He's still the same God. He's still the one who has that same track record, right? You know, the people of Israel used to, after they have a great moment with God, you know, they come across the Red Sea or they go across the Jordan River. At the other side of the sea, they would, they would build these little altars, these little stone sculptures on the other side. And the reason they did that is so that they could bring their children back to those locations and say to their children, this is where God came through for us. We don't want to forget, in the midst of the, our difficulty now, we don't want to forget that God in the past came through for us. Let me tell you the story. Oh, young man, in their own minds, they're remembering how God has shown his care for his people in, in days gone by. He's the same God. He's the same God. Do you still have no faith? Look, as we, as we finish all of this, um, I want to point something out to you about this passage that sometimes is not noticed. We read a passage like this and, and we think to ourselves, well, the real purpose of a passage like this is to, is to comfort our hearts. And yes, it should comfort you that God loves you and cares for you and has the power to deliver you from any storm. That should bring comfort. But I want you to notice that at the end of this passage, the disciples are not comforted. They're terrified. Did you, did you see that? Verse 41, they were terrified. And they asked each other, who is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? So what you have in this passage is kind of two levels of fear. They, they're fearful of the wind and the waves. So much they're bailing things out, worried for their lives. But the greater fear that they have in the passage in fact, in Greek, he says they feared a great fear when they're confronted with the power of the living God who's in the boat with them. So if there was a problem that the disciples had through this entire thing, it's that their fear was in the wrong thing. They were scared of the wrong power. 
They thought that the greatest power that they were with was the wind and the waves, which were uncontrollable. But what they didn't know is that the guy sleeping in the back was the greatest power anywhere. And the reason that he's sleeping is because he knows that. You and I can sleep in the midst of storms if we know that. Finish with this. My daughter, um, she doesn't like spiders. Who does, right? She doesn't like spiders. And when she was really little, when she'd find a spider, and sometimes we get those wolf spiders here, kind of quite large. She found these spiders one day kind of in the basement of our house, and she came running up to me, and she had tears in her eyes, and she was worried about the spider. So I went downstairs, and I saw this this spider. It's a wolf spider, and, and she hid behind my leg, and I took, you know, the tissue paper, and I grabbed the spider, and I, and I squished it. She wanted to have a look at it afterwards, as a lot of kids do, and then I, and I put it in, 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 the, in the trash. How do you explain her fear of that spider and my calmness around the spider Her fear is a result of the fact that she thinks that that spider is dangerous and powerful and is going to hurt her. My calmness comes from the fact that I know that spider is nowhere near as powerful as I am. He might shout. I'm sorry, spiders don't shout. But he he might crawl. He might crawl on me, whatever. But just with the tissue paper, I, I can squish him. You need to put your trust in in the greater power. You need to fear the greater power. In the midst of the storms of our lives, the way you sleep through them, the way you're relaxed through them, is to know that you have the greatest power in the universe in your boat. There's an old saying, an old Christian slogan that goes like this. Don't tell God how big your storm is. Tell your storm how big your God is. In response to the message that we just heard, let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, that we could come together in joy and in sorrow and worship and praise you. You take us as we are. You accept us. You love us despite ourselves. You have made a way to reconcile ourselves back to you through your son, Jesus Christ. You are magnificent and we worship you. We ask that this morning of worship would be a work of sanctification and maturity in our lives in the weeks and in the months to come. We ask that you would grow us in grace and knowledge of who you are in this time. We come to you humbly and boldly knowing that you are God and we ask that you would heal our land of COVID. We ask that you would provide comfort and care to our healthcare workers, to those in need. We think of those who have lost their jobs and loved ones who are enduring hardships and suffering beyond what they think that they can bear. Father, be their portion today. Be their comfort and their faithful friend and savior in this storm. We are also aware that we do not worship alone. Right now, we specifically think of many churches who are faithfully proclaiming your gospel. We ask that you would provide unity. 
wisdom, discernment, boldness, and clarity of speech for the equipping of your church to do your work around the world. And Father, we ask that you would shine your light into the darkness. Have mercy on us. Embolden us, your church, your people, to be winsome in our speech and in our conduct for your namesake. Be our portion daily to embrace this season as messy and chaotic as it is, to turn it for our good and for your glory. You are deserving of all of our praise and adoration and worship. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. And all God's people said, amen. So we're going to continue our time of worship by giving of our tithes and offerings. Now we know times are tough for a lot of us, and that might mean our giving has to change for a season. We get it, we do. What shouldn't change though is our spirit towards giving. We give out of obedience and a response to what God has done for us. As Christians, we are known or should be known for our generosity. And for the past few weeks, we've told you about this text to give option. And my husband has been geeking out over it for a few months now. So I've invited him to tell you about it. That's right. Can you do something with me? Pull out your phone right now. Now, we have a care fund where we collect yeah. a special offering once a month that goes directly to people in need in our community. Now, this fund is needed more than ever right now. And we haven't been able to collect one in a while. But what if everyone watching this gave five bucks to the care fund right now? Wouldn't that be awesome? That'd be great. We can do that with text to give. So let's do it. If you have five bucks to give, pull out your phone. Let's try it. Let's do it. We're doing this. So this number, just text this number. Text the word give to this number. And don't worry, it won't charge you anything. It's just going to send you a link. And it might not work for anyone on Freedom Mobile. If it's your first time, uh, you'll have to set up your account with Tithely and put in your credit card and billing information. But once you're done that, it's super easy and super fast. Watch this. <laughs> All I have to do is pull up my phone. Now I've saved that number as Northview Giving on my phone. So I just put in Northview Giving and I'm going to put the number five and send a text to Northview Giving. I just gave five bucks. We, 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 we just gave five dollars. Oh, but that was to the general fund. Now check this out. I'm going to do it again. Five space care send. Now I just gave five bucks to the care fund. Bam. It's that easy. It's that easy. Isn't that awesome? And get this, watch this. I'm gonna do it again. Five care monthly. Bam. Now we're giving five bucks a month automatically without even thinking about it. I guess that's what we're doing. Isn't that awesome? Now there is a small small transaction fee to use this feature, so we kindly ask that you cover that fee so that the whole $5 goes exactly where you want it to go. All right, you did it, it was that easy. Cool. If you need some help, call a millennial. Okay, that's it for me. That's great. Bye. I told you he was geeking out about it. I didn't know anyone could be so excited about giving. Anyways, we have a couple more songs for you guys to worship to, so let's go back to Andrew and the band now. Surrounding me, let it break at 
Jesus, you make the darkness tremble. Jesus.
Well, everyone, that's our service for the weekend. So thank you for joining us. It was great having you and worshiping together. Remember, check out our stuff online, through our social media, and get connected and stay plugged in. I'd love to send you off with some words from scripture. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Oh, hold on. This is not the children's service. I have one for you too. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that the power of the Holy Spirit may abound in hope. Bye guys.